Welcome to the Rennie Podcast, a podcast about everything real estate for the real estate interested. We're a real estate company of 300 people advising buyers and sellers from first-time condo purchasers to large-scale developers so they can make smart and informed real estate decisions. We made this podcast as a concise and consumable way to share our passion for homes, housing, community, and cities. We hope that this will spark the same curiosity in you that we have for everything real estate. All of the documents and links mentioned in this podcast are available on our website at rennie.com. Hello, everyone. In this episode, we'll be shining the spotlight on our most recent Rennie Intelligence publication, The Rennie Outlook, which is an annual compendium by the Rennie Intelligence team outlining our views on the direction of change in a selection of housing, economic, and demographic indicators for British Columbia and Metro Vancouver for 2021. This podcast episode serves to complement that publication by chatting through and highlighting what we think are the most important predictions on a macro and micro level. I'm Bowen bean Posse, Business Data Analyst here on the Rennie Intelligence team, and sitting across from me is Ryan Berlin, Senior Economist and Director of Intelligence. We're the numbers people. We believe good decisions are made with good data and insights. Therefore, we spend most of our time trying to help our organization, our advisors, and our clients better understand our ever-changing market. In today's episode, we have a special guest with us, Rennie Advisor Selena Kai, who's been with the company for 23 years and is in the top 1% of Greater Vancouver agents for how long now? I don't know, Bowen. I can't remember now. <laughs> She's been in the industry quite some time. And Ryan, a regular guest on the podcast at this point. Um, today, we're diving into the Rennie Outlook. Maybe give our listeners a little bit of uh, background on the publication. Yeah, so we published the first edition of our Outlook last year. I believe we published in early March, uh, about a week before we went into lockdown. So uh, it was interesting to track our predictions through last year, which was so topsy-turvy. And so, you know, here we are in 2021. Um, the Outlook really consists of, you know, about a dozen predictions for elements that we see as being important to our market. A couple of those describe our market, like pre-sale counts and resale counts, and, and the rest of the predictions for the year relate to essentially underlying drivers that influence our market. And the way I think of the predictions is really as a set of lampposts that help to illuminate the landscape of our market, you know, over the course of the year. And we're humble enough to know that we're not going to get them all right. Um, we will certainly miss the mark, but uh, there's utility in going through the exercise of considering, you know, how we think all of the underlying factors that drive our market, things like interest rates and migration and job growth and wages, how all of those things might interact to impact both buyers and sellers within this region. So there's a variety of factors we cover uh, in the Rennie Outlook, um, but we'll jump in here beginning with the resale market. Prediction number one, more than 50,000 resale home transactions in 2021. So in our last Rennie Outlook, we had predicted there to be 50,000 sales in 2020. Ultimately, and serendipitously, the region did achieve 49,000 sales, or just over that, in 2020. And so, you know, we were close. We were in the ballpark for sure. But the path we took to, to get to that sales count wasn't exactly what we had predicted. As we flip the calendar to 2021, we're coming off five straight months of record-setting sales counts. Um, and we're expecting that momentum to kind of continue into 2021 and throughout the year and, and hopefully get to that 50,000 uh, resale transaction mark. 
Yeah, it's funny. I mean, it's 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 hard to take credit for coming close to the realized number of sales in 2021 when the path that we took to that total was so different from what we were sort of predicating our outlook on a year ago. And that was a continuing tight labor market. We saw uh, job growth continuing on a, on a steady basis with wages continuing to rise as they had been through 2019. Uh, and then we saw a continuation of population growth. So those are the factors that we saw going into the pandemic, a little bit blind to what some of the effects would be. And sure, we were close to the number. So we'll, we'll take a little bit of credit there, but not too much. And I think, um, you know, we know that with not just this prediction of resales, but for all of the predictions we're making, there's a good chance we're going to be wrong. But I do think that 2021 will be characterized by more uh, stability than volatility. So I I do think that it's going to differ from 2020 in that way. Um, I think going into this year and as we look ahead, we'll have a couple tailwinds behind us. So increased population growth after a really slow year last year and a continued recovery in the economy. So continued job growth. And I think that to a degree will be offset by slightly elevated interest rates. And we'll touch on some of this stuff in a little bit more detail uh, shortly. Um, But I also think that we're coming to the end of the unpenting of demand that built up uh, in the first six months of 2020. We've sort of seen that released uh, over the course of the latter six months of 2020 and a little bit now into 2021, but it won't last forever. So I think when you look on balance at some of the tailwinds and headwinds facing our market, that I think, you know, a reasonable forecast is of 50,000, you know, we'll see us about 4% above the long run average, uh, a little bit higher than last year, still a quarter up on, on what we saw in 2019. And then just within that, um, we're also looking at compositionally there to be about 20,000 detached homes. So still some significant momentum in the detached market. 20,000 home sales will put it just under the, the past 10 year average, but we'd see maybe a resurgence in demand for multifamily, particularly condos. So 19,000 condo sales and 11,000 townhomes. But overall, you know, a pretty, pretty healthy resale market, I think. Yeah. And even just tracking that, uh, tracking those sales counts in the back half of 2020 was definitely eye-opening for us. Uh, Selena, what were you kind of seeing throughout 2020 and, and maybe talk about how January 2021 has shaped up so far? So, I mean, when the pandemic actually hit in March, I was beside myself because I kept on staring at my phone and my phone didn't ring for a solid month. But then after about a month, the phone started ringing and, you know, people that had to sell or people that had to buy even during a pandemic still continued to do so. And then as the months went on, I just saw a different type of demand for product. Um, People were slowly transitioning, having to work from home. And that brought out a whole cluster of clients for me um, because these people were usually very conservative. They were both husband and wife typically um, are professionals. And now they decided they're in their, you know, great little townhouse, but they need more yard space because they're home with the kids and they're working from home. And now they had to buy a larger home with a bigger yard and they had to sell their previous home as well. And this just spilled over and it just continued to grow and grow. You really just had to analyze and stay home and do all that kind of stuff. So um, I, looking back um, into the market for the last you know, few months, I feel like I'm still running. The January market has been incredible. I haven't even really been um, 
able to stop or have a few hours off. I think with the low interest rates, that has been a huge factor for a lot of people. As you know, when people do lock into a rate, they only have 90 days to 120 days to find something. And I think um, maybe you'll touch on this a little bit later as well, too, is the supply is just not there. Just this past weekend, uh, my client, very sophisticated client, even though he does need a mortgage, He's done his due diligence and he's willing to write a subject-free offer on a corner house um, in East Vancouver, Fraserview area. It was priced lower to generate that multiple offers. It was uh, priced at $1.699 million. When we went there, there was like a lineup outside to see it. The realtor at hand actually had to stop people from coming in the door. And there ended up being 30 offers listed at $1.699 and it sold for $2.16 million when the assessed value was only at 1.8 something million. Wow. Out of those 30 offers, I heard um, there was at least probably nine or 10 that were subject free, which means theoretically, there are at least nine purchasers out there that are able to write a cash offer at that moment. So, I mean, that's just a very small snapshot of what's going going on out there. For sure. And even for this podcast, right, you're coming right from an open house. So it just speaks volumes to how busy a a January it's been so far. I'm wiping my sweat as we speak right now. (laughs) And then in terms of the the pre-sale market, you had mentioned that your buyers uh, have been a little bit more selective. So with the pre-sale market, I mean, back in 2020, I would say that slowed down a little bit because what had happened in the beginning when the pandemic first broke out, the developers were also um, stepping back a little. They were kind of hesitant on launching new projects and so forth. What I am seeing now is towards the latter half of 2020 is it's a great time to look at pre-sale if that's a right product for you. So I mean, in the resale market, the great thing is you can take advantage of the low interest rates. But if you're someone that needs to save up a little bit of down payment, the pre-sale way is a great way to do it. Before, when the market was super hot, 2016, 2017, developers really could have charged whatever, made you pay 20, 25% deposit, and people would have done it. But now, as a consumer, when you're looking at pre-sales, first of all, there's great ones coming up in the next few months, and the developers are being um, more thorough in how they view all the finishings. So they're giving the potential buyers, I think, a nicer package of finishings. They're really putting more thought into it, as well as they're doing fancy things like um, buying incentives. So certain credits, if you kind of are the first people that are coming to buy through the door. They're offering things as um, maybe incentives where a studio may not usually come with parking, but now they have parking. Um, And I feel like there's a bit more selection and care now taken to look after that potential pre-sale buyer. So obviously a a very active uh, resale market and we're seeing an uptick in activity, at least on the back half of 2020 in the presale market. And that brings us to prediction number two. So overall, we saw 11,000 presale transactions written in 2020. And this was 18% lower than the past decade average, but 44% above 2019. Now our prediction was that this will be between 13,500 to 15,000 in 2021. Ryan, would you mind just speaking to the outlook and how we kind of came to that uh, that number? Yeah, I think when you look at 2019 to 2020, the 44% increase in pre-sales regionally looks like sort of jumps off the page. And it's I, I do think it speaks less to the market in 2020. 
2020, although it was a, a you know crazy ride for all of us, but more to the fact that in 2019, I, I'm not sure there was a lot of consumer confidence in that marketplace when it comes to uh, real estate values, the whole landscape of supply and demand. I think there was a lot of talk at that time too that we hadn't had a recession in years and we were just quite simply due for one. So I think as we look to 2021, as we you know expect pre-sale counts to move back to the long run average and maybe slightly exceed what we've seen annually over the past decade. I think part of it is all of us, you know, we know COVID is, is here for a while, but we've adapted the sales process. I think both developers and consumers have adapted to the process, gone to the days where people were lined up by the hundreds outside of the door waiting to get into the presentation center to sign a contract. So it's a lot more, in, the, the process is a lot more intentional. I think uh, consumers are a lot more thoughtful. Um, and as, as Selena, as you said, you know, there's, there, there are options out there. So the market is moving at more of a, a moderate pace. I'd say a more sustainable pace than we've seen in past years, both good and bad. So, and I, and I, I think when we talk about the pre-sale market, we, we've talked about it a lot, you know, within these four walls is that a healthy pre-sale market is really predicated on a couple of, you know, big picture uh, related factors. One is that you've got to have a well-functioning resale market, right? You can't, people are not going to commit to a real estate purchase where they put their name on a contract today and they don't take possession of a home for two, three, four years. If there's a lot of uncertainty within the resale end user uh, home market. And so we are seeing the resale market stabilize. Um, you know, as, as we just noted, we do expect the number of resales in 2021 to be a little bit, just a little bit above the long run average. Um, and I think part of that is a return of consumer confidence. And I think that's the other thing that sort of underpins a healthy pre-sale market is consumers have to have confidence that there's a degree of stability in the world around them, um, in the housing market for sure, but also in, in the broader economy as well. For sure. I mean, if your outlook is good for the resale market and the pre-sale market, you know, one would assume that the uh, the outlook for employment would have to be to follow that same trend line. So prediction number three was that employment will return to its pre-COVID level in 2021. Uh, Ryan, why don't you just kind of take us through the, the context for this prediction and kind of the outlook for the year ahead? Yeah, it's not the kind of prediction that we would have made at any point in the last 10 years or so, 12 years. So some context is definitely warranted. You know, obviously... Uh, with the onset of the pandemic and really our response to it um, beginning in the spring of last year, it had a huge suppressing effect on economic activity and employment across Canada and across the globe suffered its biggest decline since the Great Depression. So like, you know, 90 years ago in this region, we lost over a quarter of a million jobs between February and May. So that's only three months. And that might not mean much to the average listener. So just a little bit of context for that one is that during the previous downturn or recession, so that was 2008, 2009, the so-called Great Recession, we all hoped that would be the worst economic downturn of our generation, and it turned out not to be. The region lost 39,000 jobs over the course of 14 months. So 39,000 jobs over 14 months versus our experience last year, which was over 250,000 jobs lost over three months. So no matter how you look at it, it was a, it was a huge decline in employment. And you know, it, it fell quickly, but was the rebound also relatively quick? Yeah, it was. I think it surprised a lot of people um, in that we're, employment in Metro Vancouver is now at 97% of its 
pre-COVID level. So it's about 3% below where we were before the pandemic hit. And I think there were some thoughts that we might be 10 to 15% below the pre-COVID employment level at this time. So we had some seriously high unemployment too at 14.2% at the at the very worst of, of the pandemic for the uh, as far as the economy is concerned. The unemployment rate is now down to 7% regionally. So actually Metro Vancouver's economy or labor market, I should say, is performing better than really any other metro area in Canada, including Calgary, Edmonton, Toronto, Montreal. So we're not in a terrible spot. We still have a ways to go. As I said, we're about 3% below pre-COVID levels, and we expect employment to grow by between 3 and 4% this year. So taking us just back to or a little bit above what employment was in February of 2020. And of course, that's below trend still. If we didn't have COVID, we probably would have seen employment you know, growing over the past year. So we're not quite back on trend. So we're making some progress. And I think employment isn't really, we'll see, it's it's modest growth in employment in this region that we're looking at for 2021. This is not going to be a major driver for the housing market. But I do think that, uh, you know, again, it sort of feeds into this perspective that the market, our economy, our region is stabilizing this year. So with respect to employment, we've gotten the uh, the economist perspective, but Selena, tell us kind of what you're seeing on the ground. So Ryan, it's always great to hear from you on a macro level, but um, what I've also been seeing is some of my most skeptical of clients are actually making big moves during this time. Many factors have played into that. Um, definitely the low interest rates. I mean, I wouldn't say money's almost free to borrow, but definitely we've never seen these type of low rates actually in my lifetime at all. Um, and then secondly, during COVID times, people are doing strange things. So I like I do think with all these um, factors into play, I had a client um, that owned a two bedroom in Olympic Village. Always, you know, that kind of negative attitude saying our bubble will burst. And he was one of the first people that called me during this time and said, Selena, I'm finally ready to upgrade. And we found him a nice house in North Vancouver. So to your point, Ryan, I do think that there could be a resurgence of confidence. But in fact, I almost feel that there was a pause and that the confidence was there, but they're just now reacting to it. So that 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 confidence kind of paused when employment uh, fell off so rapidly. And then now that uh, it's kind of rebounded quickly and we have that outlook for 2021, that, 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 that confidence is back. Exactly. And I think not only back, I think you'll see a consistent almost like a little bit of a sprint towards at least mid-year. Okay, wow. So we've gone over uh, quite a lot here, the resale market, the pre-sale market, and uh, and our outlook for employment in 2021. But now we'll kind of transition to something that, uh, that's been adjusted by the Canadian government recently, which is uh, immigration. So prediction number four is that immigration will double in 2021 compared to 2020. You know, for Canada and many of its provinces, immigration is the single largest driver of population growth. And in 2020, this was kind of downshifted to 195,000 people, which was the lowest since 1998. And our target was 351,000 to to start the year. The federal government has changed their targets going forward to just over 400,000 for 2021, just over 410,000 for 2022, and further to 420,000 or just above it for 2023. So, you know, Ryan, how is this, uh, these changes to immigration targets going to affect our our outlook? Yeah, I think to the extent that we achieve the target for 2021 and beyond or just come close, it will have a significant impact on our population. As you said, immigration is the biggest driver to 
national population growth and certainly within our metro regions across the country and here in in Vancouver, uh, the number one biggest driver of population uh, growth. We have such robust immigration levels because we're acknowledging that we have an aging population and that we really, without immigration, very, very soon in the near future, wouldn't be able to grow the workforce if we didn't have a robust immigration flow. So I think unlike employment, which, you know, when we look at the magnitude of expected growth and the number of jobs this year, it's more about impacting the psyche of everybody in this market. I think immigration is going to have a more direct impact on housing. We expect 67,000 immigrants to BC this year and 54,000 of those uh, landing in Metro Vancouver. So the two impacts that immigration have on our housing market, one more immigration means just quite simply more people and a need for more housing. But the data that I look at tells me from the census says that about three quarters of immigrants who move to Metro Vancouver are renters within the first five years. So Selena, does that jibe with your experience? Absolutely, Ryan. I do find that um, typically a new immigrant comes to our city. Uh, First of all, they want to settle, if it's themselves or their family, into some kind of housing first. And it's usually not a purchase. It's usually a rental. And then it takes time to, first of all, for them to settle into their jobs. And then secondly, they want to educate themselves on probably one of the biggest purchases of their lives. So when I see my buyers come to me as an immigrant, they're usually already here between minimum six months to usually about two years um, that they've already been in the city and the shock factor of the price is already, you know, they've already absorbed that. And then that's usually when they'll become uh, purchasers in the market. So we've discussed more activity in the resale market, an uptick in activity in the pre-sale market, you know, employment returning to its pre-COVID levels and more immigration. So there's a lot of more, more, more. But what about uh, the concerns around inflation? Because that's obviously been something that's been discussed in headlines and something we've chatted about here before we started recording. And that kind of plays into, I guess, our final prediction here, which is number five, inflation will not rise above 2% in 2021. So... People might be wondering why we're talking about inflation as part of a real estate podcast. I think inflation matters for two reasons to all of us. One, it tells us the extent to which the value of money erodes. Like if inflation, the price of everything like lemons and T-shirts and couches and cars and consulting services and all that stuff is rising really rapidly. All of that can lead to declines in the value of money. And it's not really an optimal outcome for a stable economy. So there's, that's sort of the semi-academic you know, reason why we should care about inflation. But when we talk about it in the housing context, the real reason we should care about inflation is that's what the Bank of Canada looks at. So inflation, the, the increase in consumer prices and the rate at which they're changing, the Bank of Canada watches that quite closely because they want prices to be stable and they kind of target for inflation around 2% per year. And what they'll do in response if they see inflation that's above 2% for too long or below 2% for too long is they'll adjust interest rates to either slow the economy down. So if inflation's getting a bit hot, they'll turn up interest rates and try to slow things down, create an incentive to save and not to borrow and not to spend. But if inflation is too slow, they'll try to kickstart the economy by lowering interest rates, basically discouraging saving, but encouraging spending and borrowing. So that's why we care about inflation in the context of the housing market, because it tells us something about interest rates and how much a mortgage might cost. So, you know, there is a lot of money that has been injected into Canada's economy by the Bank of Canada 
as they've purchased government bonds for sure, um, and also by our federal government themselves. Then in turn, uh, you know, they spent 300 billion ish dollars to stimulate and support the economy through COVID. So there's a lot of money out there. A lot of it is getting sort of held up in what we call household savings. We've talked about that before on this podcast. You know, there could be up to $200 billion worth of additional household savings in Canadian bank accounts, essentially, by the end of 2020. And certainly, if that were to be deployed very quickly, that could lead to an increase in in prices. But the expectation is that inflation, there's still a lot of slack in the labor market. Our unemployment rate is still, you know, at 7%. It's good, relatively speaking, but it still has a ways to go before we really start to see upward pressure on wages. And so because we have that spare capacity in the labor market, the Bank of Canada doesn't expect inflation really to exceed 2% on a sustained level for at least another year. We can expect that things like variable rate mortgages, the interest rate on your home equity line of credit or other lines of credit, uh, if you're lucky enough to have an interest rate on your savings account, that's probably not going to change much in the next year. Where we are seeing a little bit of movement is in the fixed mortgage rates. We expect the five-year fixed mortgage rate to maybe increase by up to 50 basis points, so like half a percentage point. It's currently on average around 1.7 to 1.8%. It could creep into the low 2%, but that would still be historically low. So we expect through the balance of 2021 that interest rates will be fairly stable, rise maybe marginally, but remain historically low. So Selena, that's certainly going to have an impact on the buyers that you're working with. Absolutely. I, I really think one of the biggest driving factors is this low interest rates. I mean, it's really, uh, I've never seen times in my lifetime and probably even my children won't see interest rates this low in their lifetime as well too. And I'll also add to that as well for existing homeowners who are able to refinance at a lower interest rate, that does indirectly provide a bit of a boon to the broader economy because existing homeowners are able to spend a little bit less money on servicing their mortgage in Metro Vancouver. That might, that might be a large mortgage. And it means then that they have additional resources to spend in the broader economy at restaurants, in retail shops, and, and so on. Well, we covered a ton of information in today's episode. To read the Rennie Outlook and more of our predictions, including our outlook on wages, domestic migration, and many others, head to rennie.com intelligence. To receive this information and other reports straight to your inbox, simply register for intelligence updates. Ryan and Selena, thanks for your thoughts today. Thanks, Bowen, and thanks, Selena, for coming in. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me, guys. The Rennie Podcast is a Rennie production. It's recorded on the unceded territories of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. Thanks for listening.